Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI in the Future of Work. I'm your host, Dan Turchin, CEO of People Rain, and uh, as you know, a big believer in the power of technology to transform lives. We've got a unique conversation that we're bringing to you today. I'm actually here live at the Boundaryless Turing event in San Francisco, and uh, we have a special guest. Ronnie Mavram is joining us. Ronnie's the CEO and co-founder of Complete.so, and uh, they're doing some amazing work related to today's topic, the future of work. We're going to go ahead and jump right in. No preamble. This is going to be a lightning round. Ronnie, welcome to the show. Let's get started by having you share a little bit about your background and how you got into this space. Yeah, great to be here, Dan. Thanks for hosting. And obviously, very special to be doing this live as well here at Boundaryless. A little bit more about me. Prior to starting the company, I was a product manager by training and an engineer before that. And one thing I can confidently tell you, even prior to starting the company, is that compensation was one of the most confusing topics in every opportunity I've had. In fact, something that I find fascinating is that when we talk to folks that are either candidates or employees of companies today, there are even recent studies around this, 50% of employees feel like they're being paid unfairly, even if they're being paid above market, right? So my experiences, my background are by no means unique. And that was largely my impetus for starting the company. Seeing that compensation today is something that's really opaque, hard to understand, and often not something that folks feel supported to get more education and help with. So enter complete. We help companies stay more transparent, decide what policies they want to enact, and then actually act upon them as they continue to scale their business. Compensation is one of the most critical ways that a company both attracts talent and then also retains them, with retention being talk of the town right now with this economic climate. And so we really want to support our customers in building a compensation philosophy and strategy that will really stand the test of time for them. Ronnie, I saw a tweet, by the way, congrats on the announcement of the funding. Thank you. I saw you. a tweet that actually came from, I think maybe Amy at Excel, talking about uh, transforming compensation from being what it is today into collaborative, transparent, and intentional, which I thought were really interesting adjectives because those are exactly the opposite of the way I would describe compensation today. Where do you even start? How do you fix such a problem that's so systemic? It's a great question. I would say that one of the first, and actually maybe I'll take a step back here. Something that we find having talked to founders who've started multiple companies to executives that are currently running compensation at larger organizations is they want it to be transparent. They want it to be competitive. They want it to be something that aligns with their values, but it is difficult. And oftentimes what we hear is that companies think about compensation a little bit too late in their company building journey, where sometimes they feel like they don't have the same type of access or even education to provide to employees. That's a huge part of our strategy here at Complete, where we focus on early stage startups and help them prioritize how they want to think about compensation from the very beginning. So that allows them for this to be something that, again, is informative, is competitive, and really is something that they can be confident about. 
I'd say one of the cases that is really challenging for startups today, and I actually saw this myself when I was in venture capital and even now as an angel investor, I hear from founders all the time. I have this amazing candidate. Let's say the candidate's name is Dan. I want Dan on my team. What do I do? Right. And many times it becomes a question about compensation. What is the package that I give Dan? How much equity versus how much cash should I give them an annual bonus? How do I structure this? And what a lot of founders resort to today is talking to friends. They're talking to investors like Amy. They're talking to folks like me. And they're trying to triangulate what do they feel like is right. We want founders to start to think from the perspective of how do we want to make decisions around compensation? Are we going to be the company that says, we're not going to give you the highest base salary, but we're going to give you a very meaningful equity ownership of our business. And that's going to be your incentive and your skin in the game as this company grows. There are other companies, and frankly, we have customers like this too, that say working at a startup shouldn't have to be a paycheck cut. You know, we're going to give you 90th percentile of industry averages, and that's what you're going to get. And we're going to make sure that we fundraise and have the business in a good position to continue to do that. Those are some of the questions that we help some of our customers even answer today. So you referenced the employee relationship with their employer. If it starts with some kind of lack of trust or use the word opaque relationship with their comp plan, it's not a good starting point. And we talk a lot on this show about the meta trends that have led to disengaged employees that ultimately end up leaving. Employees feel less trusted, valued, respected, heard. They feel like their values aren't aligned with their employers or the ones who are first out the door. And I'm sure you know, kind of the industry metric is it costs twice as much to replace an employee as it does to retain an existing one. Absolutely. Um, So, uh, you know, in terms of the importance of that comp plan or the comp model in terms of the hiring and and retention process, um, how do you educate the market? This is a kind of a domain, a piece of a piece of uh, a product of technology that hasn't existed before. How do you create a need for something that nobody has today? Yeah. One of the ways and largely this is how we've seen it go well with with other business models as well is to give companies visibility into how these decisions affect their future, right? And compensation is probably one of the gnarliest ones I can think of, because for a lot of the businesses that we work with, especially in the technology space, compensation is one of the biggest costs on their balance sheet. It's one of the biggest expenses to the entire business, right? So sometimes growing a team can really affect how much you decide to fundraise or even how much discretionary spend you have at the end of the year, right? And so one of the ways that we help support our customers with this is giving them future outlook into if I make this decision today to give all our employees a salary increase or a bonus adjustment or even an equity refresh, how does this look 10 years down the line, right? And one of the pieces that you brought up yourself, and I'm really glad you did, Dan, is that compensation is one of the most critical levers a company has into building trust with their employees. I say this to our customers time and time again, which is if you expect to make a compensation decision, and this is a very timely topic with the amount of inflation and cost of living adjustments we're seeing today in the United States, right? If you make an adjustment this year, expect to do it for the next 10 years of your business's journey. 
because that is what your expectation is going to be of employees, right? So the more that we can give founders visibility into one, the options around how they structure their compensation, and two, what are the longer term repercussions? That is how we change the mental model around compensation. And one thing I want to acknowledge here is we've been talking about compensation in broader strokes around cash, equity, bonus structures, but there's actually a very neat connotation to total rewards, which I think gets missed, right? There are companies today that are saying, hey, we're going to give you commuter benefits. We're going to give you much more flexible location access. We're going to give you different parental leave policies that are other ways of showing their support. And again, that trust in how you decide you want to work as an employee. So complete that SO is a technology company. I could think of 20 different ways to use technology to simplify this problem. What are the one or two hardest technical problems that you and the team have solved? When I think about compensation today, I would describe it as the Frankenstein of spreadsheets coupled with the game telephone over Slack. That is the state of compensation today, right? One of the really challenging technical problems that comes with that picture I just painted, and really, like when I say Frankenstein of spreadsheets, I mean 30 different versions. It's it's a place where Git could get really creative. <laughs> One of the, techn the technological problems there that we have really been able to crystallize for our customers is, is being able to give them more access into making educated decisions. With something like compensation, where each of those spreadsheets are designed for different stakeholders, or sometimes even for different periods of time, allowing someone to enter into complete and have full transparency into, here's Dan, here's why we made the last five adjustments to their compensation, and how we arrived to those numbers is not something that companies have access to today, right? So in many ways, that level of clarity are one of the key technical technical problems that we're solving, keeping that maintenance of state, but also that history, right? The second piece I would say, which again is something that we, we actually are hearing very much from our customers as we approach the end of the year, is budgets. Compensation is structured almost like this mega optimization problem where you have different parameters around how you expect the business to perform, but rather these constraints that tend to come up in the form of budgets, right? What we've noticed is that a lot of startups, especially in volatile environments, is that they don't have a great understanding of budgets, right? And so giving them the ability to create different scenarios around how the businesses perform, how the business may perform, and then how that affects their compensation strategy is a way that we get them more comfortable with actually acknowledging those different scenarios that could take place within the next 6, 12, and even 24 months. So being able to structure that problem in a way that's easily interpreted, then to do it with the accuracy are some of the technical challenges that we think about every single day. So Ronnie, so you're an expert. So I want your, I want your coaching here. So as an employer, let's say like an example you gave, I'm considering adding a commuter benefit or a gym subsidy or increasing the subsidy for dependence on healthcare. Mm. So something that's not related to base or variable comp. And I kind of want to model that out and understand if it's going to have the desired impact on employee morale, retention, that sort of thing. Where do I start? Is, is, this, a, is this a problem that the complete.so platform solves or is it, where do, I, where do I even go if I want to uh, 
tackle that with some data? Yeah, great question. First of all, this is not something that data is always going to solve. That's one of the biggest misconceptions around compensation today, right? You could offer a laundry list of benefits, but if your employees aren't utilizing them, it means nothing, right? What we always recommend to companies is one starting with education, which is you may be actually overpaying or overcompensating your teams if they don't understand the total value of their compensation today. It starts with education 101. And that means everything from here's how we arrived at our last valuation, here's how much the business is worth, here's how we want to grow the business, and here's how that actually backs into your individual compensation. That's actually one of our products today around total rewards. Can an employee always have access to how they're being compensated today and how that changes over time, right? So that's the first piece. The second is that benefits are actually a much more nuanced space because they're opt-in. You could offer benefits, but that doesn't necessarily mean your employees are utilizing them. So we always recommend that benefits are something that actually speak to how you want to describe that your values of the business or how you work, right? If you're going to be a flexible workforce, give people the flexibility of working from any office that you have all over the world. If you are a company that is going to you know, attract later stage talent, give them flexible time and benefits, right? Or maybe even fully subsidized healthcare, if that's another way that you want to support them. And so benefits become one of the areas where really you don't always have a perfect picture understanding around how advantageous they are going to be. But really, again, if that's not something that your employees understand, it's meaningless to begin with. So as an employer, um, should I be presenting the total compensation? Because it seems like employees dramatically overweight base and variable. They've been conditioned to think about that as being the the comp the whole comp package. But how do I make employees appreciate the um the, the other components of the total compensation package? You know, I, I actually think that question is a lagging indicator of not having built trust through compensation. Right. If someone's going into the details of how much are you paying for my health care? they probably don't understand how you even arrived at the question of why did I get this salary, right? So one of the pieces that we generally expect of of companies moving forward, and really there's these broader strokes of pay transparency laws that are going on right now, which require companies to say, hey, if you're applying to this role, your salary is going to be within this given range. Companies are now starting to get questions like, this is what the range was on the job description. Why did I get this percentile? Or how, when was this band last changed, right? So it's going to elicit a lot more homework on the company side to be able to stand by the compensation package they are putting out there, right? Another piece I want to bring up here is that it is not fair to say that compensation is the only way that they're going to make the decision to join a company or even to stay at a company, Right. We have candidates that have been hired through our platform today that actually accepted packages that were lower in total compensation, in total value, but they trusted that employer more. That employer was more forthcoming around how they arrived at those numbers or even how they plan to project and become a bigger company in the future, right? So sometimes that certainty around the package is actually what's more valuable than being able to show the full you know, list by list version of here's what your total total package is. Going back to your question specifically around benefits, what we recommend companies to do, though, 
is be transparent about it. It seems really simple, but give them access to their benefit plans when they're even a candidate, right? And let them see what type of policies you've chosen and even how much your coverage is providing as an employer so candidates can see that. Sarani, so we're here at Boundaryless talking about the future of work all day. And as someone who's thinking a lot about the impact of compensation and new work trends and how to engage and retain employees, what is your perspective on the future of work? I believe that the companies that are going to really become the epicenters for incredible talent are not going to be the companies that are growing the fastest or necessarily making the most money. It's going to be the companies that are the most transparent. We're at a place where individuals want to understand a company's success, not just be a part of it. And I think we've seen this in, in the last few years with a number of companies. Uber is one that comes to mind, right, where there are a lot of questions that employees were raising around, I don't just want to know what my comp is. I want to know how you came to this number. And that's what transparency means. I think the companies that are going to wear that on their sleeve and advertise it are going to be the ones that are really going to get the candidates who are excited to be a part of that mission and that journey. Ronnie, we're doing these rapid fire discussions uh, today from the event, and uh, I know we're just getting started, but uh, I got to get you off the hot seat. But before I can let you leave, I want you to tell us where we can learn more about complete.so and when, when let's say uh, we continue this conversation in a year, we have you back on the podcast for a full discussion. How has the world of work changed in the next year? Companies are going to be really creative. We see this even today with uh, our customers that are offering token compensation, some of the more flexible benefits that we talked about earlier today. Subsidies for folks that are working from home, remote stipends. This is just beginning of a whole layer of creativity around how compensation is structured for employees today. And by the way, I think that definition of employment, that is also going to change, right? I'll give you a very, very quick anecdote on this. My co-founder and I at our last team offsite were actually in New Orleans and our check-in experience was an iPad and it was a portable iPad and folks were if you had issues with it, you walked up to this iPad and that's how we checked into our hotel, right? So the way that I think about employment isn't necessarily in this very traditional, you know, employee-employer handshake. I think it's going to become a lot more at atomic and that is going to be a way that we're going to have to really define how we want to compensate and creatively compensate these different types of contributors to a company and a mission. Brilliant. Where can our audience learn more about you and your work? You can visit us at complete.so if you are interested in up-leveling your compensation strategy or even future-proofing it. Otherwise, you can find us on LinkedIn and it's complete.so. Fantastic. Well, Ronnie, again, congrats on the funding and all the progress to date to you and the team. And uh, gosh, we're all rooting for you to succeed. Thanks so much, Dan. Excited to be back soon. Well, that's a wrap for this quick discussion with uh, Ronnie from complete.so. Now, shifting right into the second conversation we recorded from the Turing Boundaryless event. This one's with Ankit Jain from Aviator. Hope you enjoy. Joined today by Ankit Jain for a special session we are recording live, which we do very infrequently, from the Turing Boundaryless Future of Work event in downtown San Francisco. We're going to skip the preamble 
and make sure we get as much time as possible to get to know Ankit. Ankit is the co-founder and CEO of Aviator. Ankit, welcome to the program. Let's have this uh, get started by having you share a little bit more about your background and how you got into this space. Yeah, thank you, Dan, for having me here. I'm really excited. Um, I'll start. To, I'll jump right in. So I'll start with my background. I'm a software engineer by trade. I've worked in uh, Google as a software engineer building ads infrastructure. And since then, I've also led engineering in some startups, including Homejoy, Shippo, and Sunshine. We started Aviator last year, primarily focusing on how do we think about developer productivity, and especially in the world today, which is entirely remote, or at least like for the most part, remotely run. And where are the inefficiencies for developers and how do we help them be more productive? And a lot of our, uh, so we build essentially a developer productivity platform for uh, high growth companies to be able to make their engineers more productive. Typically, most of the things we think about are developer collaboration. So from the moment they've stopped writing code to the point it gets into production, like where are the inefficiencies and then help uh, resolve those. So some of the things we think about are, you know, how code review management is done, how build test management and like failures are managed. So what we do is we essentially build a lot of automated bots for developers so that they don't have to worry about doing a lot of minor things and focus more on actually the things that matter, which is writing great code. Give us an example of some of the tasks that can be automated. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things, one of the tools we build are uh, managing stacked PRs. So stacked PRs is essentially a concept of like breaking down changes into smaller changes, which makes it easier for people to review. And uh, the other things we do is a test management system where we essentially help you analyze where are the what are the common failure reasons for test? How do we kind of like automate the process of rerunning those tests, test, identifying failures and preempting those two into production? The advantage here is as a developer who's maybe working in different time zones, you can work more independently and be more proactive about like managing these things and not have to, you know, spend a lot of cycles like trying to deal with a, how do you kind of like merge these changes. So we also do automatic merging for them there. So the best entrepreneurs start companies to scratch an itch that they themselves have. So take us back to maybe your days at Google. Yeah. What were some of the problems that you faced as the developer that aviated myself? Yeah, I mean, honestly, Google has been an inspiration for us. So in some ways, you know, I was also, I guess, like a lot younger developer when I was at Google, but uh, I learned how efficient I was there, right? So from for the most part, like you did not have to worry about how these changes get merged and deployed, all of those things were automated for you. What as a developer you were focusing on was like, how do you write like good quality code and how do you get that reviewed? And uh, that's kind of like, you know, the experience we are trying to bring in for other companies. So yes, like in some ways, when you think about scratching the edge, I uh, have built many of these tools and capabilities in the startups that I worked at, right? So when we started Aviator, my thought was like, can we actually bring that same experience that developers in Google had and bring that to every other developer in the world or every developer in the world, right? Like, can we actually narrow that gap that like developers like experience when they work in other companies versus when they work in companies like Google and Facebook? Because those are the companies who have pioneered because they spent so many resources building that engineering productivity muscle. 
And that's the same capabilities we are bringing back to other companies. So these patterns you mentioned, like stack PRs, mm -hmm. make so much sense for anyone who's spent time in the trenches as a developer. But to a lot of our audience, they'll be familiar with some, I don't know, call them, you know, next level opportunities to improve developer op op uh, productivity from things like GitHub Copilot right. or generative AI. What are your thoughts about bridging the gap between some of the just very pragmatic automations that Aviator is championing versus kind of a conceptual leap to where AI is co-authoring code with the developer? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, right? Like we actually ourselves also use many of these technologies, right? Like we, our, our team also uses GitHub Copilot because that actually helps you remove a lot of boilerplate code as a developer you would have to write. Like, so the way I think about like AI is it frees us from doing many a lot of mundane tasks and you focus more as a human on more creative work, right? So as a developer, like these are the things which actually helps you be more productive at the same time, like actually do things that as a machine, it's harder to do, right? In our case, uh, what that means is we actually use some components of AI in helping teams identify uh, things where like, you know, the tests are getting inefficient, where there are like automatic failures. We are able to even detect uh, before the bills fail, like that certain screen, something's going to break, right? So we essentially like are analyzing tests. So it's happening essentially, at the level which is like after co-pilots in the sense like you've written the code now we're going to analyze and identify like what things are wrong with it so essentially it works very complementary to how co-pilot works but like it's in the same realm of things in helping developers like not have to worry a lot about you know simple things right if there's a bill failure we are able to analyze why a bill fail and give them you know like ways on how you can actually fix this so in some ways, like those are the things that actually helps uh, make teams more productive. And at the same time, we are still able to leverage capabilities like Copilot to, you know, like tie all of those things together and make developers more productive. One of the problems with generative AI, the category into which I would include <laughs> Copilot, is that it's really just pattern matching at scale. And so if it's matching inaccurate patterns, it can be making really poor recommendations. Talk to us about your experience with Copilot and where is it helpful and where do you end up having to check everything that Copilot provides because sometimes it can be matching the wrong patterns. Yeah, I mean, that's a challenge with AI we have always had. And I think over a period of time, these things will get more efficient, right? Like even when you talk about in medicine, it's harder to use AI because you probably will get like 1% wrong results and that 1% could be a big deal, right? In coding, it's a lot easier. The advantage of using something like Copilot or Aviator is that a 1% failure rate is still something you can with manual intervention be able to manage, right? And, and that's where kind of like, yes, we will over time reduce that 1% to 0.01%, but even like you're saving still a lot of time for developers and helping them really think about, you know, where are the more complex pieces that they would actually like spend more time on. So yes, I think it does require certain reviews to make sure that like, for instance, we use Copilot internally and like, you know, once in a while it'll get like variable names or like property names incorrect because it's like obviously reference from, referencing from like some of the code that it, it has been trained on. But like over a period of time, like you'll also like train on a lot of like, you know, 
many different variations of code and AI will get smarter over time. So yes, I think there are inefficiencies today, but it's still at least 10x better than what exists before AI. So let's say, I mean, 99% would be a phenomenally high rate of accuracy for AI, but even if it's if it's less, um, give us some examples of where your team is using Copilot. What, what is yeah. Copilot recommending? I think, I think the best place is uh, when you're doing integrations, which is surprisingly a big part of developer work, right? Like you're integrating, integrating difficult party APIs, whether it's Stripe, whether it's like Slack, GitHub, whatever that is. You spend a lot of time doing the integration, which is really mundane work, right? Like that's not creative at all. That doesn't require you to like think a lot. And, and uh, those are the places where AI does an amazing job, right? Like you don't even have to open the reference of an API. It will actually like, you know, because it's been trained on like many of the code bases that actually do the similar integration, you can like, it just automatically generates and the accuracy there is amazing, right? Probably like primarily because if you're using third-party APIs, Start, which are standard, right? Like it's pretty boilerplate code at that point. So you mentioned things like Copilot free up developers mm -hmm. to do more creative work, yep. things that we as technologists love to do. Is there ever a time in the future where generative AI becomes creative as well? I mean, we have like a lot of paintings now happening through generative AI too, right? So it's definitely possible. And I think uh, there will we will see, we are already seeing some patterns, but we will definitely see a lot more companies with like very few developers being very successful, right? You don't need a lot of developers to actually build a billion dollar company today. So we will certainly see a lot more patterns of that. It's uh, hard to say like whether developers will entirely be eliminated just because uh, there is still a lot of like that creative aspect of it, which is hard for machines to do. And I think part of it is also going from like, even thinking about like the system design and architectures, those are the things where like still you need, and like even product design, those are the things you still need like some human interventions to be able to produce the right results. And I think like, as opposed to art, right? Like there isn't really like, typically there isn't really like a right or wrong thing with art. With software development, there is still a little bit more. Certain things have to be done a certain way or like there are like certain things which can be wrong. So in which cases, I think even the kind of like the way you were talking about, you know, how uh, certain things need to be reviewed today with AI, I think like maybe some of the work for developers will evolve more towards, you know, providing the specification and then reviewing the code as opposed to actually writing the code. So Ankit, we're here at uh, Boundaryless talking all day. In fact, you just got off the stage talking about the future of work. So most developers now mm -hmm. work remote, teams are distributed, and presumably that's different from maybe when you get out of school and <laughs> perhaps at Google or early times when you know developers were in a room with a whiteboard. Yep. What are you thinking about how that changes the field of software development, working with potentially colleagues you've never met and don't work with in the same place? Right. I think the biggest well, there's a lot of learnings for sure, right? I mean, we did a lot of like entire talk on that, uh, but in short, at least from developer viewpoint, there are a couple of things. One is uh, what we're learning ourselves is a lot about like asynchronous work, right? So everyone, people will be in different time zones, right? Like parents want to go and like pick up their kids. So there's going to be a lot of times when people are not even like not even in the same room, but like not even in, at the same time online. Right. So this is where I think there is a lot more opportunities 
for things to, you know, become more asynchronous friendly, right? Like Loom is a great example of like recording videos and sharing with others. But like even thinking about like tools and technology, like even Aviator in our case, we do a lot of things automatic because so that people don't, developers don't have to wait on, depend on other people as much, right? So that's what I think is where a big opportunity is, at least in terms of like where things are going. And uh, uh, there's going to be more and more people who work remotely. I think the other aspect, especially from developer productivity, I would say, is uh, towards like engineering managers and CTOs, where uh, many of them feel insecure today because like they don't know how to really like track developer productivity. How do they like think about like metrics and measurement? And I think there are a couple of things in that we typically like talk to many companies about. One is you have to realize that you're talking about people, not machines, right? Even that they're developers, they're still people right and um, and the way we have seen companies do really well when we think about productivity is like really understanding where the developer frustrations are and in remote work i think that could mean many different things whereas like whether it's stuck on code reviews or whether it's like builds are broken or like you know whether it's like you know you need to uh, co-pair program with somebody so there could be like many different things and identifying that qualitative data helps teams be more successful working remotely Okay, this conversation has gone by very quickly, but uh, not letting off the hot seat without answering one last question for me. When you and Aviator are ubiquitous in the software development community, how's the world a different place? I mean, I would go back again to uh, what we talked about, right? Where I think developers will be able to do a lot more creative work. They will be a lot more efficient. They'll have to, like, they will be able to care a lot more about like their families, friends, and actually spend time doing a lot of creative work, right? So I don't, I, in some ways I do compare like developers with artists in some ways. And I think that's where I would love the world to see, uh, be where what work developers are doing is really creative and uh, they're like making a difference in the world. I love that vision. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me here. Ankit, when you achieve that vision, I want you to come back and have a longer version of this discussion. How would that be? Yes, absolutely. Would love to have that. Thank you very much, Dan. Brilliant. All right, that's Ankit Jain, co-founder and CEO of Aviator. And uh, as always, I'm your host, Dan Turchin of AI and the Future Work signing off. But of course, we're, uh, we're back next week with another fascinating guest. Well, that's a wrap for this week's experimental format. Hope you enjoyed those two lightning rounds with Ronnie and Ankit as much as I enjoyed hanging out with them. Hey, thanks to Max, Jonathan, and the Turing team for hosting us at Boundaryless. We've got a great episode for you next week with Rich White, the founder of the wildly successful user voice platform, now back for uh, his encore, having recently launched Fathom for transcribing audio calls. It's a fun one. As always, thanks for listening. If you like what we do, please tell a friend. And uh, give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. Have a great week.